Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. What a gift to be sitting across the screen today from Andy Crouch, author of The Tech Wise Family and several other books. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is fantastic. Your book gave me so many things to think about. I want to tell a little bit about you. You're an author, a speaker, a musician of all sorts, pop, folk, all sorts of music, and dad. You have shaped the way our generation sees culture, creativity, and the gospel. You have five books plus another with your daughter, Amy, My Tech Wise Life. That's a lot of books. Um, You're also a partner for Theology and Culture at Praxis, an organization that works as creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship. For more than 10 years, you are a producer and then executive editor at Christianity Today. Your work and writing have been featured all over the place. The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Time, Best Christian Writing, and Best Spiritual Writing. So thank you for being here. Author <laughs> of many books <laughs> and <so> busy <laughs> author and dad and all of these things, speaker and musician. So I really appreciate you taking this time. The TechWise family in the Subtitle here is Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. And this book really stood out to me, partially because it's red. <laughs> so there we go. It's an easy one to find. But you also have all this research in there and insights from the Barna Group. And it's really neat. You've got yeah. graphs and different charts and infographics, which I don't think you see super often in books. And I loved that part. And I'll hold it up because sometimes I put these on YouTube, but all these different infographics. So can you tell us the description of this book is phenomenal, where you talk about, look, our choices about technology are so much more than what internet filters we're going to use and determining Mm. screen time limits. So can you tell us, I know it's from 2017. At this point, you had a newer book that came out this year, but can you tell us your path to that book and what was your passion for writing it? Well, it was an invitation from my friends at Barna. Barna is a research group that studies kind of our our culture, our society, uh, all kinds of trends, especially as they intersect with faith and religion, but but they study all kinds of things. And and the topic of technology just kept coming up for them, especially as they studied emerging generations and what it's like to be a child, an adolescent, a young adult these days. And they 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 came to me. My, I'm friends with uh, David, who owns that firm. And he said, uh, would you be willing to write something? We do some original research about what is happening with technology and families right now, which everybody knew then and now is a big deal. But would you be willing to write something that would kind of frame that research? And there's some super interesting things in it. I mean, one of the interesting things is uh, for me living in the US Northeast, I live in Boston right now, and we raised our kids in Philadelphia. The Northeast is like is the region of the country where people least often sit down to dinner with their families. I, I don't wow. know exactly why, but there's this wow. strong difference actually regionally in some of these things. Uh, but we they asked all kinds of questions of parents and um, you know both about what they would like to be the case and what was actually the case in their families. But then my job was to reflect on what my wife and I had learned raising two kids. My kids were teenagers at the time I was writing it. And just offer kind of a way through some of the most important choices, which actually, as you mentioned, I think aren't, first of all, about just screen time, which is what almost everybody wants to talk about, Uh, but, or when should I get my kid a phone? You know, not that those are unimportant, but I I felt like there were some deeper things. So in the book, try to go a little bit to the deeper questions that should be asking as parents as we think about technology and family life. Mm-hmm. Which is, how do we determine the proper place for technology in our families? Yes. It's like making that decision as a foundation first. So what are exactly. some of your thoughts about what we should be thinking about when we're trying to determine the place for technology in our homes? Well, two, maybe I have two thoughts about that. One one is, ultimately, it 
I, this may sound odd maybe, but you have to ask what is family for? Like, why, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we've ended up with, I these think we all ask our ourselves that at some point, <laughs> why am I doing this? Yeah. Maybe a lot of times um, I've asked myself that. <laughs> And until you really know, like, what do I want my home to be like, uh, which ultimately behind that question is, what do I believe a home is meant to be or is meant to be for? I, I will be totally adrift in figuring out where tech fits into that. So in the book, I propose something. I basically say what my wife, Catherine, and I concluded, which is that the most important thing that can happen in our home is the formation of wisdom and courage. <laughs> Wisdom being, I guess, deep knowledge of ourselves and the world, and if you're a person of faith, maybe of God, and courage being actually the willingness to act on wisdom in a way, wow. even when it's hard. So I think of family actually along with school. And again, if you observe a religion, church or synagogue or, or your, your religious community, I think of family as one of the, the, all three of those are kind of the principal formative environments for human beings. They're the places where we get shaped as people more than anywhere else and family above all, I would say, not just the kids, but the adults. And so actually this would be the second thing I want people to start thinking about, which is so often the question about technology and family gets framed as what do we let the kids do when? (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I actually think it's more important to begin with what's my own technology use like? What am I modeling to my kids? Because it's very Mm -hmm. unlikely I'm going to get them to do something radically different from what I'm modeling. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, We all know our kids have been competing uh, for our attention with devices their whole lives at this point. And Mm -hmm. and they feel it. We feel it. We know sometimes we're not as present as we want to be. So I actually love to start with the formation of the parents before the formation of the children. (laughs) So we're here for formation. You could say we need to be formed to wisdom and courage. And so then we need to ask, starting with myself, what patterns do I need in my life so that the formation that could happen in my home and in our family life actually does happen. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel that parents respond to that? Are they defensive? Are they open? Mm. Is it easy for them to find the answers that they're looking for if they just take a little bit to think it through? Oh man, what a good question. So I would say they uh, they almost all moms and dads approach this with fear that they're Mm -hmm. just going to feel guilty when they start thinking about it or when they open the book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hope what I've what I 95% of the time what I hear is by the time they get to the end of the book, they don't actually feel that way at all. It's the truth. There's a lot of hope in there. Yes. I worked so hard on this, Jenny, to try to not make it like we already feel so guilty about our parenting. We parent, I like, I just think almost every parent is incredibly aware of our limitations and failures. Mm -hmm. And I will say it's harder for parents of older kids. I think parents of younger kids still feel like they have options and choices ahead of them. Some, Mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely met people who are, their kids are in their teens and they say, Oh my gosh, you're so right. We've become like a home of consumers rather than creators. Mm -hmm. We spend way too much of our time apart from each other when we're all in the same house, but the die is cast. The kids have their patterns. I can't take away all this stuff now. What do I do? And I think parents of older kids sometimes have a lot of regret. And it's hard to roll it back. It is very hard to roll it back, but I actually think you can if you if you start with parents first, so you don't make the kids do something you're not asking yourself to do. Mm-hmm. If you say we are actually going to reset some patterns here, you basically are you basically encounter this beautiful thing with a really big word called neuroplasticity, which is our brains can be rewired. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and and what happens is we go through a period of tremendous disorientation when we're taking out of a comfortable pattern or a familiar pattern. And that leads to a feeling of just chaos, disruption. Your kids will say, I hate you. They'll say terrible, terrible things. You, you may say terrible things back to them. Then you go through this period of kind of emptiness and just uncertainty about what is life like in this new way. And then on the other side is a new kind of fullness. So mm-hmm. I always want to encourage people who may feel like, oh, it's too late, uh, whatever that is, you know, the immediate cause of that is. It's not at all too late because your your brain body reality is so able to be rewired to find mm-hmm. something, especially when what's on the other side is better, you know? So uh, I, I hope people feel, both when they read the book and when they kind of talk with me about it, I think they come in feeling very gingerly approaching, like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, I don't want to deal with this. And then by the end, it's like, oh, this could be better. This could yeah. actually be better. Yeah, you had some interesting things in there about how to find the proper place. And I wrote these down because I thought they were very meaningful. The proper place is when it helps us bond with real people, when it helps us start great conversations, when it helps us take care of our bodies, when it helps us acquire skills and mastery of the domains, I love this wording, that are the glory of human culture. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And so those are good things to think about. Like what place do we want the technology to have? So I think that list of things was a good jumping off point for me, good conversation starters. Like Mm -hmm. what are the domains of the glory of human culture. It's a it's a good conversation topic. And so, you know, if our kids are learning to cook and they're learning to play an instrument yes. or all these different things, those are a good place for technology. But you do this interesting thing where you talk about how do we make the choices about technology? But then I think almost uh, maybe a little trickier part is how do we keep it there? Ah. How do we <laughs> stay the course through these long years of parenting and the teenage uh, years? What would you say to a family that is gung-ho? What's your advice so to, to help it to stick. Right. I think you have to build patterns in your family life that are not dependent on tech, that are the best parts of your day and your week that everybody looks forward to. I I think the the thing we probably, I think our own kids would say maybe the best thing we did as families, we had a very deep commitment to a day of rest on Sundays. And for us, that wasn't just, I think it's important. It wasn't just things we didn't do. It was actually things we only did that day of the week generally. So the highlight of the day for many, many years, probably 10 years while they were growing up was afternoon tea. We're kind of tea lovers and we like the whole British tea Mm -hmm. idea where you make all these little sandwiches and all these little finger foods. And around 4 p.m. in the afternoon, we'd all sit down for afternoon tea. Often we'd have friends over, guests over for that. But then you spend a couple hours before preparing for it, my daughter would make place cards for every person and, uh, you know, get the little cucumber sandwiches ready or whatever we were making that week. And then just linger over me. We'd light candles, wow. uh, even if it's not dark out yet, and, um, make the tea. And this became such a wonderful part of our family's like rhythm of life mm-hmm. that no one would have wanted to do something else. Like it wasn't like everyone was thinking, oh, I wish we were on our screens right now because mm-hmm. it was just so meaningful, so mm-hmm. satisfying in every way. Uh, another thing we did on a daily basis was light candles at dinner every, every day, every night, mm-hmm. which uh, often people save those for special occasions, but candles aren't that expensive. True. They used to be. I read the history of like light. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, they used to be, but they're not anymore. Exactly. In the 18th century, you would have been like, okay, there better be a good reason (laughs) we're keeping a light on right 
now. Not true now. So uh, every night at dinner time, we would light the candles and we'd plug in all the glowing rectangles in, you know, far away from the dinner table. And once the candles are lit, nobody wants to leave. Wow. Like it's this wonderful kind of gathering moment for the family. So the way to keep it at its proper place is once it's in the right spot, you know, either literally in the house or in the rhythm of your days, fill the other places and times with the most meaningful mm. things. And as your kids get older, you have to involve them in that. You know, you have to say like, what What do you wish we spent more time doing as a family? Going for a walk or playing sports outside or whatever. And I think as parents, we have to sometimes submit in a way to what is most meaningful for mm. our kids because it's not always the thing I most want to right. do. But if they feel involved in making these choices, uh, the things that we get to do together, I, I guarantee there is not be ever so seemingly addicted to video games. There is a deeper hunger for a realer life with their parents and their siblings and other people important to them, that if you just give them some time and a chance to say what it is, you'll discover wow. they want it too. I mean, that's really powerful. And this is what you talk about. This is the hope. The hope is that lighting a candle at yeah. dinner can make a difference. Having tea and sandwiches Completely. can make a difference that we're trying to make real life compelling for our kids. And that's what helps us to keep our technology plan in place. Now you say you didn't have a television at all until your kids were until, double digits. Uh, our daughter was like 12. Yeah, yeah double digits. <laughs> I want to know about it. I mean, it's it's an well, intriguing and <laughs> interesting thing. And actually, I know a few people who have done it. It's very counterculture. Most families have several televisions and you had none. And yeah. so tell us about why yeah. you decided and, and what that did for your family. Well, this is where I worry a little bit. People will be like, oh, that's crazy. We're never doing that, which is well, fine. Well, you know what though? I think, I here's what I think. It's something that I would have been interested in and- our kids are wow. older now, um, but would have been interested to yeah. sort of start that way, to start our marriage that way, yeah. to start our family life that yes. way. And so there are yes, a lot of people yes, listening yes, yes. that are in those early stages and I think would be interested yep. to know how it went for you so that they might want to make that decision yep. themselves or put the TV in the closet and just pull it out for certain occasions. So I think it's good information. Yep. Yep. Well, it was, you know, the, I mean, the honest truth is we hardly knew or know that it's not there. Now, we do have a TV now, but honestly, I'm not sure we've turned it on more than twice in the last two years wow. for sure, maybe longer. It's just not part of our lives. And I don't say that, I don't think I said it like proudly or anything. It's almost like, I don't, I don't know what it would be like to have it as part of our lives because our lives are quite full, but I am especially glad. And we, we did watch, uh, when the kids were teenagers, we watched movies together. I think movies are an amazing art form that are well worth engaging. So that's mainly what we use the biggest glowing rectangle for, but we also watched baseball. We loved baseball. I love keeping score while I watch a baseball game. I have all these scorecards of games I've watched either in person that's or so on cool. TV. And that, those great family time. But before double digits, I really believe there's this unique, beautiful, unrepeatable part of human life, which is those first 10 years of childhood, where we, all of us at that stage, are made for kinesthetic, active, engaged life. And I just didn't want to miss one moment of that with my kids uh, sitting in front of a glowing rectangle. And and they just didn't miss it. They didn't. I mean, their grandparents had a TV. They knew what a TV was, but it wasn't something they wished we had. Wow. And when we got it, when my daughter was about 12, 
we had it for a few weeks and she was sitting at, at the table reading and I got a text message from a friend. And he said, Hey, I, you told me you got a TV. How's it, how's it going? Like what's changed? And so I said, well, Amy, well, uh, what's changed now that we have a TV? And she barely looked for, up from her book and she said, do we have a TV? And she went back to her book. Like it just didn't matter mm-hmm. to her. So I think you don't know the creative possibilities that are out there when you kind of remove the the consumer entertainment. There's so much that's actually possible. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It certainly doesn't have to be expensive. We didn't do anything expensive. Uh, you know, I guess people do sometimes, you know, like they go on really elaborate trips or mm-hmm. something like that. But we just found ways in our backyard, in our neighborhood to have a lot of fun. Yeah. It did involve a lot of books for Kids, well, and that's interesting because now Amy, Amy's an author. Now she's writing books. <laughs> you open up this space for creativity in your home. And I liked you even had the sentence in your book, build your life around not having a TV. And when you finally do have one, almost nothing will change. So that's like what you said. Nobody yes, even knows that exactly. it's there. How did you deal with other people and their judgment? Was there a lot of judgment? I wouldn't say there was judgment. There can, there can be a little bit of confusion. Uh, and I would say, you know, there were two directions. It was more, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really something the parents directly dealt with. The kids though, there's two things that happened. First, friends would come over to our house and especially boys would be really bored, re- like really not know what wow. to do to my son's friends. Because you didn't and have video games. that was very hard to watch. Didn't have TV, didn't have video games. Exactly. And that's mostly what boys do together these mm-hmm. days. So it was very, honestly, very difficult, uh, like age eight, nine, 10, because basically they didn't, they only came over once and they didn't want to come back. And my son was, I, don't, I think boys generally not are not always the, the most uh, socially smooth. We certainly didn't have a socially smooth kid at that stage. And he didn't really know how to help them have fun. Mm. And so they didn't have very much fun and they didn't come back. So that was painful, though. I will tell you, he's 25 now. He would absolutely say he wouldn't want it any other way. So the awkwardness was awkward, but not damaging, you might Mm. say. So there was a little bit of like perplexity when other kids came over. We had to do some extra work to help them have fun Yeah, (laughs) with more success with the girls than the boys. Mm -hmm. Then the other direction was, of course, our kids would go to play or be at other other families' homes. And there we tried to be just absolutely non-legalistic and judgmental Mm -hmm. ourselves because we're not anti any of this. We just want it to be in the right place in our own home. And we weren't really worried Uh, As long as there was adult supervision around, you know, if our kids wanted to play video games at someone else's house, that was totally fine. We didn't want to make them enforcers of some family code uh, outside Mm -hmm. the home. Quite the opposite. We want them to be good guests, do what their hosts wanted Mm -hmm. to do. And if that was screen-based, it was fine. So we tried to model, you know, this is, uh, (laughs) I think every kid needs to grow up hearing over and over, our family is different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not in a proud way, but just a factual way. Well, our family is different. And I think our kids heard that a lot from us, but with no sense that like when you go to another home that doesn't mean they're worse it just means they're making different choices and see what it's like and and make the most of it i have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported and that's why i decided to give ag1 a try not only does ag1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins minerals pre and probiotics and more but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, 
AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. And kids can get a lot out of that, seeing how different families live. And I think what you said is such an important part. You said it's extra work. It was extra to figure out. So if someone is having a hard time, having over eight, nine and 10 year old boys, well, maybe you go play paintball. Maybe you go to the, you know, we've got snow tubing here. Maybe you go to the tubing hill and it is extra work. And I think though, that is a really special component of being a parent now. I think on the surface, it seems like a negative. And I have felt that in the past where I can't just shove my kids out to play in the neighborhood because no one else is out there. But now I realize that my life is more full, just my personal life, because I've gotten to invest in different ways that parents did not get to invest in in previous generations. And so you get to do that and it's creative and it's fun and you get to be a part. You're a part of it. And so I think it opens up opportunity. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Totally right. It's extra work, but that's a good thing, I think. And I think that will get people thinking about what can they do. Totally. Yeah. You are committing to more attention, more mess to clean Mm -hmm. up, more, uh, to some extent in the short run, more pain in some ways, like dealing with more distress. Mm -hmm. I think we often give kids, uh, especially the the early times that kids are given screens is usually not so much to solve their problem as to solve a parent's problem. That is, uh, I just have to get to the grocery store and back without a meltdown, or I've got to get dinner on or whatever. And we hand them a screen and it kind of instantly solves that problem for that moment. And if you don't hand them a screen at that moment, you've got a bigger problem yeah. to solve. Um, the, 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 the only thing is, one of the things ways I think about it is the, the more you entertain kids, the more borable mm-hmm. they become. So you entertain them or distract them with the 
screen once and it actually then becomes something they need yeah. to know how to handle being in the car seat or waiting for dinner or whatever. And if you actually work through the very difficult and messy and unpredictable and nine times out of 10, you feel like you're not doing it right, you know, process of helping this little mm -hmm. munchkin figure out how to soothe themselves, how to entertain themselves. If you actually do that hard work up front, then they they right. learn and they grow and right. suddenly you don't have that mm -hmm. distress anymore. But we often just shortcut. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what a lot of technology allows us to do, especially at home, mm -hmm. is just kind of shortcut away from difficult things. Yeah. But that means we never learn how to become a different mm -hmm. kind of person who can handle difficult things. Yeah. And it's harder in the long run. I had written a lot about that because you yeah, said the more we entertain children, the more bored they will get. It's counterintuitive. <laughs> and, and one of the things you talk about in particular, oh. which I think is one of the most stressful times is that time leading up to dinner. I love this question Before in your dinner. book. You uh, say, what could possibly be wrong with something that solves such an urgent problem so neatly? But a lot, a lot can be wrong. <laughs> it makes our lives harder in the long run. And you say that filling our lives with screens yeah. is a level of vividness and velocity that does not exist in the real world. So the kids are being gradually desensitized. This book is fantastic. I have notes upon notes here <laughs> from what you wrote. Well, I love your, I love your name of your, your project here. A thousand hours outside because I think uh, human beings are made to be in creation. I would say, yeah. you know, as a Christian, to me, it's it's creation, not just nature, even. And there is so much delight to be found. Uh, I, we live now, we've moved from the house where we raised our kids. And right now we're living in an apartment in Somerville, Massachusetts, very densely populated city. And there's like our backyard, which we share with our landlord is like, uh, I don't know, 100 square feet, 10 by 10 wow. lawn. But I go out there in the mornings because I start every day outside. Before I look at a screen, I go outside. And there is so much to see in this little wow. garden in our backyard. The colors change in the course of the year. There are two little bunnies who live in this in this little Have tiny you named backyard. Them? I, I see them most days. Oh, I'm not maybe I should. I can't tell them <laughs> apart. So I would have to I'd call them like bunny okay, okay. one and bunny one point one or something. But uh we come alive as human beings when we're out there. But as as you read from that quote, part of the problem with the media is that that we consume is it's it's hyper real mm -hmm. in a way. It, it's very engaging, and and there's something also about the glow. Right. Actually, I think that that is significant. It sort of captivates us and draws us in in a way that when we walk out in, in nature, we're in a world of reflected light, not mm -hmm. transmitted light or glowing yeah. light, except for uh, glowworms. Or, or, uh, Which are only a in a couple places. Actually, that's an interesting conversation that will probably never get brought up on here again. Maybe it will. I think they're in New Zealand <laughs> and oh. Alabama. Of the only places wow. on earth and they're in wow. caves where you can, this is like the random information. One of the random things that I know. I'm amazed that you know this about where, where they can be found. Glowworms. Cause I actually didn't realize that they were even real because we had like those toys when we were oh. kids and, uh, right. but they right, are, right, and right. they're just in these two random places completely separated oh, from wow. each other. But anyway, to your point, they have well, their own light. Which is, too, I mean, the point is the the world doesn't glow. Yeah. You know, the sun glows, uh, fire glows, which is why we find fire compelling, uh, mesmerizing mm -hmm. in some ways. So this whole idea that we surround ourselves with these screens that glow, it's a very unnatural thing mm -hmm. that captivates us that I think we're almost not neurologically prepared yeah. for in a way. And that kind of desensitizes not just children, but adults too. And it takes a while when you walk outside to kind of recalibrate, but there's actually far more to mm. see in a backyard than there is on TV. 
And kids can learn to see yeah. it and learn to love mm -hmm. it. And dig, and it's not just see, it's touch. It's get your hands dirty. It's all, you know, it's the whole, mm -hmm. whole body, the, all the senses, right? right? Uh, I mean, taste, uh, we sometimes wish they wouldn't <laughs> yeah, taste sure. everything, but they do. So uh, Those are the hard years when the they're putting everything in their mouth. Yeah, but it's all a sensory experience. I had heard, uh, read recently that, and also, I think it's like the light is flickering as well. And we're designed oh. to notice those flickers because it's like uh, it's fight or flight or like something going on. And the same thing with sounds. Wow. So like you get the ping on your phone and it's like a fight or flight thing. Like Ooh, we're made yes. to hear those oh, things for danger. It's an alert. Yes, it is an <laughs> alert. And so we're constantly living in this like drip of fight or flight on alert yeah yeah but you can oh, step outside geez. of it just by stepping outside or turning it off and you guys had a pattern i don't know if you yep. still do it now that your kids are older but in the book you talked about this pattern of one hour a day one week a year um something one day a week one one hour a day one day no, a week day one a week, week. A, can you tell everyone about that i think that's a really cool idea to strive for we totally still do this because we need it for our own sanity. And it's, yeah, it's just the idea of anything with an off switch, basically we turn off that includes the overhead lights. So at dinner, wow. we still light candles most nights and turn off the electric lights, the flickering, you know, 60 or 120 Hertz yeah. uh, flicker uh, that all gets turned off just candles. Wow. Uh, so dinner hour for us is the hour a day. Uh, Sunday for us is the day a week. And I won't say we turn off everything and the refrigerator <laughs> stays plugged in, but, uh, but we do, wow. we minimize, you know, kind of electric and electric electronic mm -hmm. on Sundays because we want a day of the week where we're just humans in the created world. And then one week a year, we are we are very fortunate. We're able to go to Maine, which is a, a couple states away from where we normally live, to this beautiful part of the world, spend a week or two there on vacation. And we just absolutely minimize, certainly, the screens. Wow. Um, it's too precious a time, and we're in too beautiful a place to really want to be mm -hmm. on the screens. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the number one things I would recommend as a starting point is find that hour, find that day, and ideally find that mm -hmm. extended time. I turn off my email entirely. I have a very email-dependent job, but mm -hmm. uh, but people have just learned over the years. Two weeks in August, uh, they will get an auto-reply back that says, unfortunately, I will never read your email, which is true because I have it all just archived i never you see don't it even i go, go away with an empty inbox two weeks wow. later i don't wow. go back andy wow this is the secret jenny this is the secret took me a long time to figure this out because i used to come back to like a thousand emails it was the worst day of my yeah. year was the first day after vacation i was like this can't be right so i thought i think i probably could just tell people and so people send the important stuff again and everything else, just, I never see it. And and so Monday back from vacation is so wow. restful. It's like, I have time to think about what I need to do, kind of starting to work. And, and then the emails start to arrive, but I, I have it like, I start the day zero. It's so amazing. Wow. <laughs> that is brilliant. And I think that gives you it gives you time to reflect. It gives you time to reflect on that time, and then you don't dread the end of your vacation. And I think it's interesting that you said it was two weeks exactly. because um, I'm not sure if you know Molly yeah. DeFrank, but she wrote a book called Digital Detox, and her book is all about a two week reset. Yep. So what you're talking about is that you yep. are building into your life resets every day. Yes. Every week and every year, you're building into this reset where you're re-engaging with things that are only real world 
and reminding yourself and your family that this is worth it. And so, yeah, I think that is a fantastic place to start and easy to understand and pretty easy, I think, to implement like today. It can be done. Mm -hmm. It can be done. Like starting now. Yes. And it changes our relationship with the devices the other days of the week Mm -hmm. and the other weeks of the year too, and the other hours of the day. I I think once we started really doing this intentionally, which is probably 15 years ago or so, I just found that my relationship to the devices changed even when they they were on. Uh, I just wasn't tied to them and dependent on them in the same way, just because of this pattern of interruption and and reset. So, and that's when really it's in its proper place because these are very useful things and and good uh, to have, you know, and and they can be fun and I'm not against entertainment or, you know. And you did uh, say that. But you just don't. I liked how you said. Yeah. You just don't want that to be. I had written down because I thought the wording was so neat. You talked about that technology is assisting autistic children and their families to communicate, that there are places where screens and other devices are wonderfully useful, but this is keeping it in that spot where it's a tool. You talk a lot about passive consumption versus creation. And I think Mm -hmm. this fits in here with the tool. Um, So can you talk about that? And why does that matter? Yeah, I think it's a really important uh, point because what's really new in roughly the last hundred years are these things that that I might call devices. And by devices, I mean things that kind of operate on their own without us being in charge. (laughs) So whether that's sitting down and turning on the TV, like, I wonder what's on. You're basically on the TV entertainer, even if you're choosing the show, like someone else produced you're not creating mm-hmm. it. You're just watching. But also things, you know, even like a microwave oven, which hey, I, I use my microwave every day probably, but, um, you know, it, it sort of does things for you without you having to have very much skill or involvement. And that's really different from tools. And we've had tools for the whole of human history, but tools require human beings to actually use them, to create with them. And the problem with devices is they don't actually they don't ask very much of us. And so they don't develop very much in us. And if all we ever do is take the burrito out of the freezer, put it in the microwave, you know, wait till it's hot and eat it. We never, I, I was actually with uh, a family invited us over to, for dinner just two nights ago and the mom had, had made tortillas. And I, I honestly have to admit, she was not of uh, like a Latin background, but she, uh, Anglo background, but she'd learned how to make tortillas and they were awesome. And they're so easy. You know, I think like if, if the world oh. goes down, it's like flour, water, salt, butter, water, oil. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't, some, you might not even need fat. oil. I mean, it's just literally a couple ingredients and they're the best things you've ever tasted. It's hard to get them flat, like how you get it in the store. Ah, and I don't know how she did that. Maybe right, she right, has right. some, some special techniques, but you know, we use like a rolling pan or something and they, they're still kind of thick, but right. that's something that you can make even if you hardly have anything on hand. So it struck me that for me, it's always been a consumer mm. item. Like it's something I pick up at the store wow. if we're going to be making something with tortillas. But for her, it was a it was a it was an act of, as you say, a kind of skill. Even though very, very simple, like actually, if I tried to do it for the first time, I wouldn't make them nearly as well as she would because she's learned. And then, of course, your kids can learn alongside you. This is the great thing about kids; they want to be yeah. part of it, and it makes it more messy, and it's not always perfect, but they're learning. And the problem with filling our homes with devices is it basically takes away all the moments where our kids see us as adults doing things that they can aspire wow. to do and can grow up to do. Because the three year old knows how to push the button on the microwave. You know, there's nothing to learn there. There's nothing to develop there, but to use a knife, to use a stove, to make a batter, to, you know, roast a vegetable, all these things are actually beautiful skills. And I, I I sometimes think uh, there was, I don't know if it's quite as true today, but there just came to be this time where kids sort of 
were sort of very cynical about their parents. And I think it was the height of the device-driven home, the leisure home, when kids would actually never see their mother or their father doing anything particularly admirable. So why would you admire your parents? Now, they might do really impressive things off at work, but kids don't see that. And I think kids need to see us doing things that they can admire and aspire to become. And the the devices just don't make room for that. Anybody can turn on television. Not everybody can make up a story. Anybody can press play on Spotify. Not everybody can pick up a guitar or a violin or sit down at the piano. And maybe we can't do all those things, but we could be developing skill ourselves as we invite our kids to develop skill. Yes, I think so. Let's all make tortillas. (laughs) Uh, you exactly. don't need that many ingredients. I'm encouraged you got to you got to try it, it Andy. And I I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make some too the next time we have people over cuz they are delicious. I had read this book. I talk about it actually a lot on here. It's by a man named John Holt who is not alive anymore, but he has a book called Learning All the Time. Uh. And it's about how kids can learn to read, write, and do math and investigate the world without being taught. So the book is actually a lot about modeling. And he has a statement in there that changed my whole life. It said, kids need some sense of the processes by which good work is done. And his whole point is that we are pulling them from those processes. So he says they need to know how to see a table from start to finish. How do you make that? And then he says all these different ideas. And then he says... If you have no skills to speak of, which I feel like spoke to my heart, you know, sometimes you feel like, well, I've got nothing. Well, you can make tortillas, I guess, but I have nothing. But he says, then learn something and let your kids watch you learn it. And we had had this other woman on our podcast a few months back. She was talking about team sports and the sort of team sports mania. And she said this statement, and I thought it was so life-changing. She said, are we modeling that adulthood is a big bore? You know, if all we're doing is sitting on the sidelines and all we're doing, she said, no, she said, cultivate your life so that kids have something to aspire to, like you were saying. And so I think the whole point is is to make life compelling. And then screens are in their place just because our lives are full. Like you said, you didn't really have time for TV. You've only turned it on a couple times. Because you're doing other things that are valuable and and make you come alive. I had this question because this book was from 2017. And in the world of technology, mm. things are rapidly changing. <laughs> so has there been thought to going back to the research? Do you know anything that has changed? I mean, this just becomes more and more pertinent as the years go by. And I know you've written a new book since then about relationships. So can you talk a little bit about the last Mm -hmm. five years and maybe how the landscape has changed a little bit? Yeah. I did try to write this book, TechWise Family, in a a way that wouldn't be too dependent on like the technological moment, because I knew that was going to change really fast. So mostly, you know, I definitely stand by what's in the book. And most of it's not about like which apps are on your smartphone mm-hmm. or something like that, because that really has changed. I mean, TikTok, I don't think existed. Right. Uh, for your typical kid in high school, it's like the where they spend most of their time when the screen is on. So things like that, I just realized I'm not going to be like, that's not for books. That's for like websites. <laughs> I have a really good set of friends at this organization called Screen Sanity. Mm-hmm. And they're fabulous at keeping up like with every app. And as soon as the app comes out, they've got a guide for parents and for kids about how to use it. So they're they're great and they do that. So certainly things have changed in terms of just what's the, what's the drug of choice in a sense, or what are we putting on our screens? It's not Candy Crush anymore. It's robot blocks or Fortnite or whatever. But obviously the bigger thing that changed is that most of us lived through uh, some degree of lockdowns and uh, limitations on life for a long time during COVID. And unfortunately, I think, I think kind of uh, 
two or three things happened all at once. One was we were many people, um, especially kids, actually, uh, and and some adults whose jobs allowed this were like imprisoned behind the mm-hmm. screen <laughs> for a year yeah. or more. I think the second thing that happened is actually a lot of disillusionment with that. Um, there's you hear a lot less excitement about remote learning, in particular for kids mm-hmm. today in 2022, as we're talking, than than three years ago because we've just realized, especially in the early years, it's just not great. So there was a kind of disillusionment, but I would actually say there also grew to be a, a huge dependence. Mm. And and so I think the one thing that maybe has most dramatically shifted from 2017 to today is probably mo- more people fi- feel like that ship has sailed. I, I, my kids, like I have met many families who say we never used to allow screens in the bedrooms, but then they all had to be on in school yeah. in their bedroom on the Chromebook. And they're like, we can't get it back. We can't pull it mm-hmm. back. So I would say that ironically, like we're more aware of how much we need to be out of doors, how much we need to be with other people, how much screens are not enough, and more unable to imagine actually getting back to that way of life. Wow. Which is where I I just want to hold out the hope of this neuroplasticity uh, that we talked about earlier. Like it's actually all still there. Like the outdoors is still there. Your your kids can change. You can change. But we've got to have the hope we can change. And I feel like a lot of hope was knocked out of people over the course of COVID in particular. And I want to encourage people that there is actually something to hope Mm -hmm. for that's better than the status quo. Yeah. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get 
$120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 code OUTSIDE120. It is, it's interesting in. to hear you say that because even in this book, which was pre-COVID, you say we're hopelessly overmatched by the deluge of devices. So it was already there and then it's just <laughs> it's been exacerbated. <laughs> but you have these interesting things in here yeah. that compel you to make a different choice. And I think, I think this topic of relationship and conversation, which is what your newest book is about, The Life We're Looking For, which is a fantastic title, The Life We're Looking For. I think some mm. of us don't even know what life we're looking for. Reclaiming Relationships yes. in a Digital World, which came out in April. So I can't wait to read that one. But you talk about conversation in this book and that it takes about seven yes. minutes to get yeah. into a conversation. And here is the part that stuck out to me, seven minutes. But then it said, a conversation interrupted before the seven minute mark does not go deeper more slowly. It just stays shallow because everyone's thinking the other yes. person is gonna opt out. And I thought that yes, was really exactly. eye-opening. So can you talk a little bit about <laughs> relationship and, and kind oh, of yeah. a little bit as it ties into your new book and how relationships mm. are part of the hope? Wow. Well, I'll, I'll give away a little bit of at least the beginning of the, of the new book, The Life We're Looking For. Uh, the life we're looking for is actually a life where someone is uh, looking for us. Um, that is, oh. uh, we are born, I borrow this from a psychiatrist friend of mine, Kurt Thompson. Everyone's born looking for someone looking for them. Wow. We were born looking for someone looking for us. And the life we're looking for is, is ultimately the life of recognition. That is to be seen, to be known, to be cared about, um, to be heard, uh, to be understood. And in, in the opening parts of that book, I talk about all the ways our devices now give us a simulation of that. So my phone knows what my face looks like and it opens up for me. And then Siri says, hey, Andy, you know, how can I help you today? And, and there's this sort of simulation, but it's not real. It's not another person. It's not enough. So ultimately, I think the most damaging effect of technology for all the it, it clearly has provided all kinds of mm -hmm. good things. But what it really has undermined is that personal face-to-face -face encounter that is the essence of being human. Yeah. And we've just got to commit to making that primary in our yeah. lives. And the, the problem is you, you kind of, uh, well, well, I was going to say one problem. I'll, I'll actually say the deep problem with that is it's very vulnerable mm. to do that. That when I actually look someone in the eye, uh, when I have a conversation that goes longer than seven minutes and I don't check my phone, Inevitably, and, and this is part of um, Sherry Turkle is the uh, psychologist who did the research about the seven minute mark. And she says, basically, what happens after seven minutes is you've exhausted small mm -hmm. talk. <laughs> You're not only talking about the weather and sports for so long. And at that point, someone has to take a risk. Wow. You have to ask a question that you don't know the answer to, or you have to disclose something that might be vulnerable or tender. And, and that, I think, is the deep reason we look away is, oh, this is going to be too hard. Mm. And it is going to be hard. And um, and you can't control how it turns out. And sometimes it's it's pain, painfully hard, very disappointing. You look for that response from your spouse and, and instead they ignore you or, or worse, they say something that really like pierces and pains you. And you think, oh, I'm never doing that again. In Sherry Turkle's lab, people get to seven minutes. And if they have their phones, that's when they pick up their phones at that awkward pause wow. when they're like, well, I could take a risk 
Or let's see, I think I have a notification, mm-hmm. right? And what you're doing is you're saying, I think I'll retreat to the safe place. And the moment I do that, that I do that, you pick up on that and you're like, okay, clearly he's not going first. I'm not going to go first. Wow. And you, and you're, you're making like this mutual tacit unspoken agreement to stay wow. shallow. So the new book is, it's about a lot of things, including a lot more about technology and, and kind of what the dream of technology has been, which is basically to do magic so that we don't have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. human beings. But, but the, the end point is we've got to recommit to the kind of life in which we're close enough and in enough proximity to each other that we can't, um, just uh, glance yeah. away that yeah. we, we stay in it yeah. with each other because that is what we're mm-hmm. looking for is we'll stay wow. in it with us that's what your kids are looking for that's what your spouse is looking for what your parents are looking for mm. and it's so hard like it's the hardest yeah. thing but it's also on the other side of that hard thing are, are all yeah, the good that's things. what makes us human like you said i'm so excited to read that that is very intriguing and i liked what you had in TechWise family where you said we're when we are present in person with another human being our bodies are taking in and absorbing many gigabytes per second all sorts of information when we're in person and you even talked about in your book about how you really value anything you say any wedding we get invited to any funeral that we're asked to attend you say we make an effort to show up for the big events of life every time and i thought that was really powerful that you have made that a priority is showing up and that it's worth any sacrifice yeah. of time or money. So you're living it and you're modeling it for people. I saw, I think this was an interesting thing. I saw this quick video of Simon Sinek who does all this business stuff and he was sitting on the stage with this other person and they were having this conversation. And then he said, he just picked up his phone like this. He just held it. And he said, do you yeah. feel important now? Do you still feel like you're Whoa. the main one in the room? And it was so eye-opening because it's oh just about having it in your hand. It's communicating. Yes. That's what yes. you're saying. It's like, this is a yes. communication that I'm not going to go there with you, even if you're just holding it or you, you pop on a check. So it was such a great reminder, really not even a reminder. I wouldn't have thought wow. about it actually, Andy, except that it was in your book that wow. checking the phone is opting me out of this moment. And so, wow, this book, it is small. But there is so much packed in here. I couldn't believe how much you packed in into this book. And a small book is good because families are busy. So I would rather have like a small book packed with lots of information than like a 600 page book that I can't get through. So um, this is a fantastic book. The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. It's out now. It's been out since 2017 with research from Barna. And then your daughter, Amy, did a follow up book called My TechWise Life. Can you tell us about that real quick? Yeah, this is the kids' point yeah. of view. People kept asking, well, how, what do the kids think? And they also want something they could read with their kids. And some people have read the TechWise family with their families, which is great. But we we saw a chance to give the kids' point of view. So it's mostly Amy's book. She writes about her own experience. She was 19 when she wrote it. Um, and then I write little responses. At the end of each chapter, I kind of write a letter back to her with it, from dad's mm-hmm. point of view. And it was so sweet to work on it. And it's a beautiful, touching yeah. book in a lot yeah. of ways, um, especially good for girls to I think girls and boys have pretty different experiences of all this stuff. So I, I won't pretend every boy will love mm-hmm. this book. But I think if you have girls and they're 11, 10, 11, 12, 13, I think it's an amazing book okay. to share with them, to give them kind of a model of someone who they can relate to, who's who's made really beautiful mm-hmm. choices about this all stuff. All right. And and my TechWise life is out as well. And then the life we're looking for came out in April and you have other books as well. So if people are interested in finding you, you're at andy-crouch.com. Instagram, <laughs> True, yes, Instagram yes, is can... AHC. Picks. 
so I'll put that in the notes. Uh, that's one that's not quite as intuitive, but I'll put that down so people can no, so know, people I can know. find you there. But it's interesting and unique. I know you got to run here in a minute, but we always end our podcast, Andy, with the same question. Um, and the question is, can you tell us a favorite outdoor memory from your childhood? Oh, oh, yes, I can. Um, I mean, there are men, uh, my parents love to go camping. I will actually say I do not love hmm. camping as an adult. But as a kid, it was very meaningful. And I was actually thinking about it because it's my earliest memory of a thing I did only with my dad. I had a younger sister and my parents uh, were and uh, were married to the life. Um, but, um, but there was this one time when my dad took me on a trip and we camped uh, for several nights at uh, different spots, stops along the way. And I, I, it is the, I must have been five or six years old, maybe. And I just remember being with my father out under the stars, uh, you know, outside the tent and uh, feeling like it was, it was, I remember it was cold. <laughs> I was cold. It felt risky in a sense because there's this random field like in the middle of the Midwest. And it felt totally safe because I was with my dad and he knew what he was wow. doing. And that, uh, my father uh, passed away just uh, about four weeks ago now. Oh, and, and I'm so um, sorry. And wow. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was 80 and, wow. um, and we knew, we knew the end was coming for various reasons, but, uh, and we were there yeah. at the end. And I, and I was thinking about my dad and I thought, this is, uh, I couldn't ask for anything more than to have been with him at the beginning, at the end of his life that, in that way. But to have this memory very early on of just me and him uh, outdoors under wow. the stars, pretty that special. That is really special. And I would imagine that you've shown up at so many other people's big events and big parts of their life that that came back for you too, that you reap mm. what you sow and that people were there to surround you in that time and in the times to come. Yeah, yeah heading into the holidays yeah. and things like that. So, well, Andy, this has been such a meaningful conversation after reading such a meaningful book that I just thoroughly enjoyed and got wow. so much out of. And and like we talked about right before it started is now I've got a, I've got a path. I've got other books to go to. And I love that. So thank you so much for your time here. And hopefully we get to connect down the road with some oh, of these other topics and maybe with Amy. It would be a delight. Thank you Thanks, so much, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. 
And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.